Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Amon Green, Green Bay Packers all-time leading rusher, and you're listening to The Average Cheese, hosted by Dell and Todd, two lifelong Packer fans talking about their favorite team, the 13-time champion, Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! So welcome to episode 85 of the Average Cheese Podcast. I'm Dale Lobel, flying solo for the first time in season three. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at r Management. Thanks to Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. And thanks to Dan and the folks at Bob Anderson Builders for sponsoring podcast. It is good to talk to you again. It's been a couple of weeks since the average cheese has been on air. Unfortunately, Peter had things to do and Todd has just moved into a new house. So congratulations to him. You can find us on Twitter at AVG cheese. Of course, the website that we have built and actually Peter has started to build www.avgcheese.com. You can find us there and you can also email us avgcheese at gmail.com. Remember, we cuss for charity, or I will cuss for charity today in episode 85. And our charity for season three is Veterans Outreach of Wisconsin, which takes homeless veterans off the street and puts them up in their tiny house village. All right, let's talk football. So it's been a while, so some of this stuff is a little bit old. Uh, On a sad note, Jeff Gladney, former Viking and current, or most recently with the Arizona Cardinals, Jeff Gladney passed away in a car crash at the age of 25. Too many young athletes dying in car crashes. Dwayne Haskins passed away, I guess, about a month ago. And now Jeff Gladney. Uh, Rest in peace to him. 25 is far too young. On a little bit more positive note, and if you've listened to The Average Cheese before, I guess this would be a positive as in, we don't we no longer have to cuss out Tyler Lancaster as a member of the Green Bay Packers. He is now playing for the Las Vegas Raiders. He was brought in. I don't know why they would. He's officially gone from the Packers, signed with the Raiders. Uh, as you've heard, if you've listened to us, we have no idea what that man is doing on a professional football league roster, but it'll cut down on a swear jar a little bit. We won't have to cuss about Tyler Lancaster. I wonder if he took his tent with him where he ate his bologna sandwiches with the Packers last season. Bye, Tyler. I'm sure you're a good dude, and we're happy you're not around. I know that Peter and Todd didn't want to dive into this, but I'm going to dive into it a little bit today. So Deshaun Watson back in the news. The New York Times did a rather lengthy article on Deshaun Watson and his off-the-field escapades. Now, remember that Deshaun Watson just signed a five-year, $230 million contract with the Cleveland Browns. That has something to do with the situation. If you're going to sign a man to that much money, hopefully you as a franchise have done your due diligence and looked into the situation because it wasn't like this was something that came up after Cleveland signed him. He had sat out the entire year with the Texans 
I mean, everyone knows there's stuff going on with Deshaun Watson. Now, I'm sure you've heard, right? It's the massage therapist issue that Deshaun Watson has in his life. He has allegedly exposed himself to massage therapists. Now, the New York Times article that came out today, there's a lot of stuff here. First of all, in less than two years, Deshaun Watson had 66 different female therapists. Now, that alone should set off a red flag or two. I mean, if you get massages, even somewhat regularly, you do your best to find someone who you think gives a good massage. Like Marcy and I have a person. She comes to the house once a month to do massages. It's because we like that person and we think that they do a good job. 66, like you can't find anybody that can give a good massage within that time. That seems a little shady on the surface. 24 of those 66 women have sued him, including two more within the last week. There's a very common thread to this stuff. And I know this isn't football related, so I won't spend a ton of time on it. But this looks bad for the franchise. So the Texans, a couple of things about the Texans. One, the Texans leased a hotel room in Houston for Deshaun Watson. That alone seems like a bad idea. Like the man has a home, right? Why does he need a hotel room in Houston if he stays in Houston? Another thing that the Texans may or may not have done, it is alleged that they provided Deshaun Watson with a non-disclosure agreement that he was to give to or that he gave to his massage therapist. What aren't you disclosing exactly? If I go to my massage therapist or she comes to the house, I don't need a non-disclosure agreement because I'm getting a massage. What do you not want them to disclose? I don't know. That just in a, in itself seems like a pretty big, pretty big red flag. Here's an expert, uh, an excerpt from the deposition. So Tony Busby is the lawyer for the 24 women that are suing Deshaun Watson. Here goes. Question. Can you explain why you reached out to said therapist on Instagram rather than just using a therapist you had used before? Answer. Because I needed massage therapy. Okay, you just could have used somebody you used before, right? Yeah, I could have. You could. Yeah, you did. But you didn't. I did not. You could have used the Texans massage therapist, correct? Definitely possible. But you didn't. No, I did not. I feel like most people do know why Deshaun Watson was looking for this many therapist and it's not because he couldn't find one that gives a good massage so with all the negative press that's come out in the last well today tuesday june 7th you wonder what's going to happen with the browns so the browns have clearly pissed off baker mayfield because baker mayfield has just been jumped over by a huge contract in deshaun watson he is clearly being pushed out the door But Deshaun Watson, if things go poorly, is going to be suspended 
for a certain amount of time. What does Baker Mayfield do then? Does he tell the Browns to pound sand? Like, trade me. I don't care that you don't have a quarterback. I mean, now granted, he's under contract. He could refuse to play, but that would then result in him not getting paid and issues like that. But you're going to have a very angry Baker Mayfield playing quarterback for you if Deshaun Watson doesn't clear all of these charges or all these lawsuits. So there's a lot going on there. I'll just leave it at that. I just think that, wow, you probably should have done a little bit more due diligence on the back end or on the front end if you're the Cleveland Browns. Knowing what you could just see in the public, you think that they would have dove a little deeper into it. And finally, in non-Packer news today, Aaron Donald signed a three-year, $95 million contract. Interesting for a couple of reasons. Aaron Donald is 31 years old. He just turned 31 at the end of May. He will be 34 years old, clearly, at the end of this contract. He had three years left on this contract. They basically ripped up that contract, gave him a new one, which I think is a very strange precedent to set. Like, you have three years left, and we're going to renew your contract. Now, Aaron Donald is a great player. And he had talked about retiring after the Super Bowl win. So I guess there's a little bit of leverage there when you're one of the best defensive players in the league, if not the best player on the defensive side of the ball. But again, he's 31 years old. And defensive players, especially defensive linemen with the beating that they take, that's a huge risk for the Rams. He basically can walk away at 34. He can walk away after his second year making this, what, $65 million, something like that. Big contract, big guaranteed money, $45 million, if I'm not mistaken. And I just realized, like I always do, that I never talked about episode 85. Episode 85, the Max McGee episode. Now, Max McGee and Greg Jennings would probably be one, two in Packer history in the 85 category. But, you know, on the Irish cheese, we're not a big fan. We are not big fans of Greg Jennings, so we will go with the Max McGee episode. A couple of things about Max McGee. First of all, Max McGee ran for 3,000 yards in high school. He was the first high school player ever to run for 3,000 yards, Went then went to the University of Tulane, which was in the SEC at that time, and played for Tulane, was drafted in the fifth round by the Packers in 1954. He was a fifth-round pick, and then he ended up, after that season, going into the Air Force and being an Air Force pilot. Came back to the Packers in 1957, played for some really, really bad Packer teams in the late 50s before Lombardi came. He was a five-time NFL champion, 61, 62, 65, and then the two Super Bowl years in 66, 67. There's sort of that iconic catch by Max McGee in Super Bowl one, where he basically tips the ball to himself and then runs for a touchdown. That was the first touchdown scored in a Super Bowl game, which I didn't know until today. I was today years old when I found that out. Thank you, Wikipedia. In that 66 Super Bowl, Max McGee was hung over. So he had broken team rules and was late. And he also was hung over and didn't think he was going to play. He told Boyd Dollar, you know, boy, I don't feel very good today. So hopefully I don't go in the game. 
And then he did, right? Boyd Dollar got hurt in that Super Bowl. And there goes Max McGee, hung over his all get out. He so much thought that he wasn't going to play in that game that he didn't even bring his helmet out. He had to borrow a helmet to get out on the field and play because he had to go play because Dollar was hurt. So he had a big game there. He also had a big catch in Super Bowl two versus the Raiders. Max McGee then went on to be a Packer announcer for a while. And he always sounded, that was kind of that era, like in the eighties and nineties or like seventies, eighties and nineties, where I think they could drink in the booth. Like Harry Carey of the Cubs always seemed to be shit faced in the booth. I always thought that Max McGee may or may not have been drinking in the booth too. One more interesting tidbit about Max McGee. He is the co-founder of Chi-Chi's, the Mexican restaurant franchise. Anyway, as always, that's out of order. 80, episode 85, the Max McGee episode. So OTAs was last week. We didn't get a chance to talk about that. Nothing really big happened at OTAs. The national media talked about how Aaron Rodgers was not in attendance. And of course he wasn't. And as Packer fans, we are used to that. It is a voluntary camp. And when you are a multi-time multi MVP, you don't need to show up for OTAs. I did think it was interesting, though, that players like Patrick Taylor, Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard, who I'll talk about in a minute, not at OTAs. Patrick Taylor is not a guarantee to make the 53-man roster. And I would say Sammy Watkins on the deal that he signed with the Packers is also not guaranteed. Now, I know that whatever Alan Lazard does or doesn't do is going to help or hurt Sammy Watkins. But Sammy Watkins, though he is a veteran, is a veteran on a one-year contract. And when you are a veteran on a one-year contract who is easily cuttable with the contract that he signed, you would think that he would want to get into camp and impress Coach LaFleur and the guys on the offensive coaching staff. Yes, you were the fourth pick in the draft, but you were the fourth pick in the draft, and you are on team, what, five at this point? You're no guarantee to make the roster. And Sammy Watkins doesn't get practice squatted. There's zero chance that that happens. The Packers are going to look at him and see if he's got anything left in the tank, and if he doesn't have enough, he's not going to make the roster just think that's a really interesting and, and bad choice by both Patrick Taylor, who probably is, I mean, is likely to be cut, and Sammy Watkins, who has a lot to prove. That's basically all that happened at OTAs. Jordan Love got some work in. There was talk of Christian Watson in the drops against, you know, nobody. That's going to be an ongoing problem until he fixes that issue. There will probably be comparisons to Devontae Adams, though Devontae Adams wasn't known for his drops coming out of college as much as Christian Watson is now. So minicamp started, two days of minicamp, a couple of things, Amari Rodgers, and we've talked about Amari Rodgers and his lack of playmaking and the disappointment that we had with Amari Rodgers last season. He has a lot to prove this year. He's down weight, lost some body fat. Stenovich and the guys on the offense say that he looks more confident in year two. I would worry about a guy who comes into his first professional season out of shape. 
And I tweeted out to Peter a couple weeks ago that Traylon Burks from Arkansas is a player that I did not want because he is basically the same body that Amari Rogers, but he had the same thing, came into Titans camp and was out of shape. That's a red flag. I guess I've been using the word red flag a lot already in episode 85, but that's a red flag. You come into your first camp and you are not in shape. Like this is your job. This is your one job in life. If you do it correctly and you do things the right way, you will set not only you, but your family up for life. And if you come in out of shape, that just seems like someone who's either A, doesn't care, or B, is just too clueless to understand. Amari Rogers in year two, maybe he figured it out. Maybe he realized I can't just cope. Hopefully he's productive in year two because the Packers are really riding a lot of their hopes on guys like Amari Rogers, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. Like there's no surefire one in this room. And we've talked about that before. Another thing we talked about on the average cheese, at least I talked about a little bit is I wondered who would play the slot in the Packers defensive backfield. So Razul Douglas has gotten some looks in the slot and Jair Alexander, who I think would be spectacular in the slot has also gotten looks. Now you think, okay, Razul Douglas, probably the least physically gifted of the three corners, Alexander Stokes and Razul Douglas. Maybe you want him in the slot because you would think that the guy in the slot is probably the least athletic of the receivers, but that's not always the case. OBJ spent a lot of time in the slot. Devontae Adams, former Packer Devontae Adams, spent a lot of time in the slot. Cooper Cup, a lot of time in the slot. Justin Jefferson for the Vikings, time in the slot. So I wonder if the Packers will resort to a... Now, we had talked about the star defense that Barry employs. It wasn't evident who the star was, at least to me. So I wonder if you won't end up with something like Deion Sanders used to do, where Deion Sanders is going to chase the most physically impressive, the best receiver on the other team. Deion Sanders would follow that guy around. Does Jair Alexander, for example, against the Vikings, Follow Justin Jefferson around in the slot, on the outside, whatever it may be. Does he go along with him? And the Packers basically match up one receiver on one defensive back, number two defensive back on number two receiver. Like, do they do that? Because they do, in my opinion, have the three best corners in the league. You might as well take advantage of that while you have them. And you have, again, because Alexander just signed a nice contract, Stokes is on a rookie contract and they just signed Razul Douglas to, I think, a three-year deal. So you've got these guys and you've got this defensive backfield locked up for a while. After two practices, Quay Walker has passed Chris Barnes as the number one right inside linebacker next to Devondre Campbell. Guess that's expected, right? You have the first round pick and the first of your two first round picks. He should move up and be the one linebacker in front of undrafted free agent, Chris Barnes. He's too physically gifted compared to Barnes to stay behind him very long. Now it'll be interesting to see when Devontae Wyatt moves up right now, according to ESPN.com, the Packers left defensive end starter is our buddy Dean Lowry. And on the right defensive end, it is Jerron Reed. 
So Devontae Wyatt right now listed as the right defensive end is backing up Reed. I wouldn't be surprised if Devontae Wyatt ends up being a starter in front of Dean Lowry. Again, if you listen to us at all, you know that we hate Dean Lowry. At least we don't we don't hate the man. We just hate the fact that Dean Lowry, other than last year when he had a great year, has really struggled to produce for the Packers. Devontae Wyatt, starter, in my opinion, maybe by week four. I saw also that Stenovich is talking about using Jones and Dylan together. I think that is a great idea, especially when you don't have the wide receiver depth. You're not confident in your wide receiver room like you were in the past with Devontae Adams being there. You need to use these guys as weapons, not only in the running game, but in the passing game, because both of those guys can catch the football. If you run A.J. Dillon off one side on a wheel route and you run Aaron Jones on a wheel route out the other side, do they have linebackers that have to run with those guys or do they bring safeties? And if you have both those guys in the game at the same time, that should open it up for more one-on-one coverage for your wide receivers and your tight end, whoever that will be. So using them together, I think, is a great idea. Who are the best running back tandems in the NFL? I happen to be a big fan of Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison in Minnesota. I thought I think that they are. At least Alexander Madison is underrated as a running back, and I think that he could start for probably half the teams in the NFL Delvin Cook is as talented as they come. Uh, You have the guys in Cleveland, Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I still would put Minnesota, the Minnesota guys in front of them. Uh, And I really like Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines from the Indiana, Indianapolis Colts. I think that is a very talented group. And I would say the Packers, two guys, Dylan and Jones, are as talented as both of them. Or any of them, for that matter. Moving on to Aaron Rodgers, you cannot have an average cheese podcast without talking about Aaron Rodgers at least once. So here goes. Aaron Rodgers said today that he will definitely retire as a Packer. And honestly, it will be an excellent offseason. It was this year. We didn't have to deal with the retirement talks. Now we'll have to deal with retirement talks, but we won't have to worry about is Aaron Rodgers going to be traded for a shitload of picks and guys that we've never heard of. It's nice to just have that out of the way. I don't know what the national media is going to talk about because that's where they always go back to looking right at you pro football talk. You are going to have nothing for content in the next year or two because Aaron Rodgers is now locked in as a green Bay Packer. Hopefully he plays out the remainder of his contract. We win a bunch of super bowls and all is well in green Bay. Not exactly a mini camp thing, but PFF came out with their best coaches today, their best coaches list. And on that list, Matt LaFleur, according to PFF, is the sixth best coach in the NFL. Now, they kind of judged it on how many wins would each coach have with an average roster. And that's one of the rubs on Matt LaFleur, right? He's got Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback. And because he has Aaron Rodgers as his quarterback, then people start to downgrade Matt LaFleur's performance as a coach because people assume that Aaron Rodgers is winning the games. And of course he is, right? Of course he is. He wins games because he's Aaron Rodgers. But you can't downplay what Matt LaFleur has done. Before 
LaFleur and company got here the years before that, the Packers were maxing out at 11 wins. They had some really bleak years under Mike McCarthy at the end of that McCarthy era. And since then, 13 wins, 13 wins, 13 wins. It's, it's become this very consistent. You can't really argue with 13 wins every year. That is, the, even with 17-game season that they're playing now, 13 wins is amazing. Next week on episode 86, we will talk about how we think the Packers will do in the 222-23 season. And I don't know. Will we say they have 13 wins again? It'd be hard to bet against that. As difficult as the Packers' schedule is, though, I'm not sure they'll get there. But we'll talk about that next week. So anyway, back to this list. Bill Belichick is number one. And as much as I hate that fool, it's really hard to argue that Bill Belichick is not a great coach. He took noodle-armed Mac Jones to the playoffs with a very, very bleak roster. And the man has won a ton of Super Bowls. Of course he's best. Number two on the PFF list is John Harbaugh out of Baltimore. Now it starts to get a little shaky. I'm not sure. That's a tough one. Does Baltimore have the roster that Green Bay does? I would say no. So in that case, I guess PFF would be right. You are overachieving as John Harbaugh, the coach, if you are taking Lamar Jackson, who is a very good player, to the playoffs consistently. Again, I don't think that their roster is as talented as Green Bay's. Number three, Andy Reid, Kansas City Chiefs. Again, well, he gets to coach Patrick Mahomes, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the game today. Andy Reid's a great coach. I'd have a hard time arguing that. I think that he's probably a better coach than John Harbaugh. The next on the list, number four, is the one that really kind of surprises me, and that's Cliff Kingsbury of Arizona. Cliff Kingsbury, as of right now, has a 24-24-1 and record. He is exactly 500. He has won, well, he's actually under 500 with the tie. He has won 24 of 49 games as a head coach. Now, he has Kyler Murray, who, okay, Kyler Murray's clearly not Aaron Rodgers, and I'm not sure how talented their roster is. I talked about it last year that they have nobody playing wide receiver for them. So, okay, but still, you've won 24 games. It's really hard to argue that you are the fifth best coach in the NFL when you aren't even 500 as a head coach. And the last coach before Coach LaFleur in the PFF rankings is Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll's like 718 years old. He's a good coach. Uh, He has taken basically a roster that had one guy, Russell Wilson, and turned them into playoff winners. And I'd really not, not like to talk about the games where Seattle beat Green Bay. Too painful to talk about. I thought that was interesting that Coach LaFleur was the sixth best PFF coach. I would say if you're asking me, and I guess no one is, but I'm saying it anyway, I'd go Belichick one, Andy Reid two. I'll give John Harbaugh right now the nod at three, and then I would say LaFleur is four. And I could hear arguments, and I wouldn't just totally disagree that 
coach of the floor could be behind Belichick and Reed. When you've done it for as long as those two old guys have done it, it's really hard to argue against really consistent success that Reed and Belichick have had. And finally, uh, one more thing from minicamp. The assumption is that David Bakhtiari is going to start in week one. Now, in minicamp today, he is off working with the injured folks, which is a little concerning. And I guess would I rather have David Bakhtiari over rehabbing his knee in May and early June and then playing meaningful football games in September or more importantly, late in the season in January? Yes, of course I would. I hope that they slowly bring him back and hopefully whatever it was that caused him to play only one game, the long-term effects from his injury, hopefully those have subsided. They figured out whatever it is because that really did directly contribute to the loss against San Francisco. When you have a guy like David Bakhtiari and you see him come back, even for a little bit, that Detroit game, you think, okay, now we have something. He's going to start in the playoffs when we really need him. Yeah, he'll be a little bit rusty, but he's David Bakhtiari. And then when David Bakhtiari didn't show up on that game, in that game, you start to wonder what is still going on a year later, more than a year later. So now he's had, what, 20 months to get this thing going. I want to say that he hurt his knee right around the first of the year. 2021 he's had time if he's not back in week one you have to start worrying about the long-term health of David Bakhtiari and will he be the guy he has been his entire career Elton Jenkins is assumed to be on the pup when the season starts so that would put him back week six week seven somewhere in there so then it begs the question let's say Bakhtiari is the left tackle on week one Who plays right tackle? The assumption is that Jenkins will move out to right tackle and replace Billy Turner at the right tackle position. And of course, I I would say he is the most talented lineman other than Bakhtiari and clearly the most versatile lineman the Packers have. He starts at right tackle in week six or seven, but who starts before then? Now, Yash Nyman has been a very good swing tackle for the Packers. He's played both left and right tackle. The, the fact that he didn't play left tackle in the divisional game versus the 49ers was a bit strange. Packers have been rotating Nyman and Cole Van Lannen out there on the edge in OTAs and then today and yesterday in camp. That's interesting. Cole Van Lannen being you know, a major contributor is something that I would not have expected. In fact, if you listen back to the old episodes right after the Packers drafted Cole Van Landen in the sixth round, I wasn't sure that Cole Van Landen would even make the team. So nice for him. Hopefully that he can be successful if he is the guy that goes out there. Again, if someone was asking me who I would want as the right tackle in week one, assuming that Bakhtiari is on the left side and Elton Jenkins is on the pup. I'll take Yash Nyman. Again, I beat up on, you know, many, many times in our podcast, but he's proven me wrong. And I think Nyman has proven that he can play tackle in this league and he should get the opportunity. He's long, he's athletic. He is the prototype tackle that you'd want out there. 
Now, if Cole Van Lennon, for whatever reason, regardless of what his body size or what his body shape is, if he's the player, okay. But if you're asking me right now, June 7th, 2022, who you would want on the right side, I say Yash Nyman. So yeah, that's basically it. Short episode because I'm talking to myself today. If you made it through the entire episode, thank you. I appreciate you listening. Again, every time you listen, three cents in the jar for Veterans Outreach. So again, thanks to all the folks that listen. Thanks to Rhonda and the folks at r Management, Dwight at ddgcustoms.com. And thank you for listening. Go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.